Hello, everybody. We're glad you're with us. As we continue on in a series we're doing called uh, What the World Needs Now, pretty obvious the topic. Uh, if you know the song, you, you know what the world needs now is love. We are using as the foundation for this series, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And this series is a, a sub-series of a greater series we've been doing on the Ministry of Encouragement. And in particular, a thing we've called the Encourager's Plan. And the Encourager's Plan is designed to help you ultimately remember to do two things every day. Be thankful for five things and encourage two people. That's what we're trying to do. Um, we, we, have, uh, we feel very confident that, that God has given us a simple thing to do. And that if we'll do our part and... and uh, integrate these simple tasks into our lives that he will take them as we offer them to him in faith and do miraculous things with them. Just like he did with the five loaves and the two fish offered to him in faith. God did a miracle and fed thousands that our simple act of in faith and obedience being thankful for five things every day and encouraging two people will have a significant impact not only on us but on the world around us. And that he's called us to this ministry of encouragement. And so we've, we've designed this uh, plan um, operating around five sets of verses to help us just sort of stay focused and, and remember what's important in our lives. And, and uh, they're designed to do that, to, to get connected, to, um, to make sure that we're, we're taking a stand, to, to pray, to get focused, to do all those things. They're part of this plan. And the last part of this plan is, uh, and, and it's, you know, the most important part of it all is that Everything that we do has to be done and motivated by love, by the love of God. Or it just won't matter. If we're, if we're just getting out there and doing those things that we talk about and love isn't the motivation, then we just might as well not do it. Uh, it, it, it needs to be the motivation for all that we do for him. As he pours out his love on us, we're to love others well and extravagantly. And that's what uh, this message has been uh, and what this series is all about. Um, before we get started, though, I always like to talk a few things. I have a story. I told this story on Wednesday night. This is a true story, but I, I felt like I wanted to tell it on the weekend as well because I thought it was great. Um, last week, I talked about the fact that love isn't easily angered. And uh, if you were here last weekend, you heard me give that message. And as a in, as way of an illustration, I talked about um, the fact that that like a year ago. We had taken some plants out behind the church here and um, to make a little more space for parking. And the county wasn't very happy about it. And they sent me a nasty letter, big nasty letter. And there were, you know, potential fines and magistrates and all sorts of other stuff. And that my response initially to that letter was really, I was really angry. And, and yet I determined that the best thing for me to do was not say anything until I could not be angry anymore. And so I didn't do anything for three weeks. And then I called them and I apologized and they've been working with us and we're figuring it out. But it was all about getting angry. Well, if you were here, some of you, you heard me say that. Well, um, I said that uh, the, the reason that we got in trouble is one of the neighbors turned us in for what we did back there. And, I, and then I made the comment, well, if we ever found out who the neighbor was, this is, what we would have to do is we'd have to go and we'd have to go to their house and start cutting their grass, washing their cars cleaning their trailers, taking them food, you know, cookies. Every time we had a meal, we'd take one over there because that would be the biblical response to that situation. All right, so that's the story. Okay, now, church finishes at the, after the last service, the 11 o'clock service Sunday. And, and this, this sweet, 
little saintly woman comes up, and, and I'll just say that she was, she's older than me, okay? I won't, because I know the age is important. But, and she's just started coming here all over the last few months. And, uh, and she's real sweet spirit. And she comes from a, a different church background, so we're, I know we're a little different anyway for a lot of folks. Uh, and, and so, but anyway, she comes and she likes it here because it's, you know, if you get used to the difference, it's, it's a good place. And she comes up to me and she says, hey, listen, if I confess to turning you in, will you send people over to cut my grass, wash my trailer, wash my cars, and bring me food? <laughs> and I just, I lost it. It was so, that was so perfect. <laughs> And then after that, like ten other people have wanted to confess too since I told this story. It was me. But I get a kick out of that. But it was a, that's a classic story. And uh, I love that stuff. I like those, those real stories. You know, if you've been coming here, I usually try and, and come up with some sort of story for you. And, and uh, I usually try and find a bad one. I found you a real bad one, though, but I don't really need to do it because you just had a good story unless you really want to hear the bad one. Do you, you want to hear the bad story? So, okay. But I just wanted to ask before we got there. So that you can't blame me for this story. So the monastery is in need of some repairs. And the friars get together. And they uh, decide that they need to raise some money. And so they, they put their heads together and they, they think, you know, one of the things we can do here is we, we grow a lot of flowers and stuff. Let's open a little florist shop. So they say, okay. And so they uh, get into the town a little bit and they open up a little florist shop and and business is good. The people like the, the friars and what they're doing. And they, they start getting quite a bit of business. They're making some money. And everything's good except that the other florist in town is not very happy about the whole situation. So he goes to the friars and he says, look, you, you know, you really hurt my business. I, I'd really be appreciated if you'd shut down. And they, no, we, we really need to do this. And he leaves and he, another couple of weeks are getting worse and they're doing business is even better. He goes, he like begs them, please, will you shut, you know, you're, you're just killing my business. They say, no, we really feel like we're supposed to do this. So... The florist is he's frustrated and he, he goes and he, he hires the sort of town thug whose name is Hugh to go and try and persuade them to shut down. So so Hugh goes over there and he just he wrecks the their store and he beats them up and he says, If you I'll be back if you open back up again. So in in terror they just shut down their shop. Now, the point of that story is that you and only you can prevent florist friars <laughs> I told you it was bad <laughs> I love telling that stuff God created the world in six days on the seventh day he rested and on the eighth day he started answering complaints Okay. Um, so we're in this series called What the World Needs Now. We're talking about love. And uh, love has to be the motivation for what we do. I was reading some stuff from C.S. Lewis this week, and he said this about love. And I, I love C.S. Lewis quotes. I just love the stuff that he says and the way he says it sometimes. And if you've never read any C.S. Lewis, I, I'd encourage you to read some. But uh, this was a quote. Uh, it was actually from a letter he wrote. It says, uh, there are two kinds of love. We love wise and kind and beautiful people because we need them. But we love, or at least try to love, stupid and disagreeable people because they need us. 
This second kind is the more divine because this is how God loves us. <laughs> Not because we are lovable, but because He is love. Not because He needs to receive, but He delights to give. And I just thought that was a great quote because we, you know, we always got to remember that, that, you know, love is not proud and that um, that second kind of love is the more divine love because that's the way God loves us. So we've talked about 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and 5, and I encourage you to memorize them if you can. I know not all of you can, but some did. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Great verses to know, to have in your heart. It's a description of the character of God, and it's what we're asking the Holy Spirit to develop in us. It goes on from there. And, and uh, you know, we talked about 4 and 5, and they're very connected. And I said that Paul uses 4 and 5 to help explain one another. But he does the same in verses 6 or 8, so we're going to look at those together today. And, and it goes on, and I'd encourage you to learn the rest of these verses, that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I want to look at uh, some points uh, of, of those uh, sort of two verses together helping to describe one another. And so the first point in your bulletin, if you grabbed the bulletin off the back, if you didn't, they're back there if you want one, or you can just follow along, however, is that love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices with the truth. Now, evil can be described as, as that which is opposed to God and his purposes. It's harmful and non-productive. And, and to put it in terms that we always talk about, it, it is choosing not to do the next right thing. Always a, a choice presented to us to do the right thing or, or the wrong thing. And when we move off course, when we give in the temptation, ultimately what we are doing is delighting in evil. That's the bottom line process. You know, we, we, we use the idea here that the way that we move into God's will and the way that we, we operate in this world is that we, we live by trying to do the next right thing. And that, that we do the next right thing and then we do the next right thing. But because we are sinners, there are times when we will indeed choose not to do the next right thing. That's when we're delighting in evil. However, when we, when we realize what we've done, when we come to our senses, we're to immediately turn, go running to God, ask Him to forgive us, and He does. And then He sets us back on path again to go and do the next right thing. And I've stressed to you throughout the importance that that needs to be your picture of God as one you can run to in the midst of those situations of life. So, um, but our heart and our motivation for doing the next right thing ultimately comes from rejoicing with the truth. And for us as believers, the truth is more than an ideal. The truth is personified in Christ. Jesus is truth. In John 1.17 it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 14.6, Jesus answered and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the truth. And so, Jesus personifies for us truth. 
and, and what it looks like. And, and it's only uh, possible to even hope to love the way that God wants us to by getting our eyes focused on Jesus and, and by trying to do and living by trying to do the next right thing. And with Jesus as the center of our lives, um, then, then we can begin to express or, or experience the love that's expressed to us that we read about in verses 7 and 8. And, and it's typified by verse 8, which is point number 2 for you, that love never fails. And, and so we're going to sort of move into the discussion from that point. That this kind of love, this that love uh, that God demonstrates to us, is an unfailing love. Now, how does it not fail? How does love never fail? And again, I think Paul uses verse 7 to give us the idea about what an unfailing love looks like. And, and I would say it this way, too, that, that as we experience this kind of love from God, it's only then that it can begin to flow through us and move into uh, other people's lives. And so I, I want to look at these first few points in particular and, and see how he loves us in that. And so the, the first thing that this unfailing love does is that it always protects. It always protects. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, The Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. The Lord protects us. Um, he is protective over you. He doesn't want you to be harmed in any way by the evil one. Um, you need to know that He is always there with you and for you. And um, even when we are given choices between doing the next right thing and not doing the next right thing, even when temptation comes, you need to know that He is always with you at those moments. And, and just as review, I gave you a prayer for those moments when you're being tempted to do the wrong thing, and, and I taught you my, my prayer for that purpose and that time, and, and I wonder if anybody remembers that particular prayer. Not my anxious prayer, but my temptation prayer. Anybody remember? Well, God, oh God, is the anxious prayer. There you go. The temptation prayer. Help! Write that down. Now, I know people think I'm not, but, but I am completely serious. I, I, I taught two prayers over the last few months. My anxious prayer, which is, oh God, oh God, oh God. And my I'm being tempted prayer, which is help. Because they trigger in me the right response. See, I, I, if I'm starting to get that anxious feeling, which we've talked about and over lots of times, I start saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, and it helps me to refocus on what I should be doing, which is praying and, and looking to Him. When I feel like I have the choice to do a wrong thing, and it's starting to look better than the right thing, if I can say help, He does. And how does He help? See, we uh, remember that I, I told you that what He does is, and scripturally, the way that you resist temptation isn't, or the way you get away from temptation isn't resistance, because resistance is futile, it's a change of focus. You've got to change your focus. Because the more that you think about whatever it is that you are thinking about doing, or, or I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, it's, it's right there. You change your focus. You change the channel. You get to something else. And the help prayer is a reminder to go change the channel. To go change your focus. To just completely move off of it and onto something else. 
And so, and, and he's there. He, he's, he, he does that in order to protect you. He, he wants you to be protected and to know that you're protected. And so, so hang on to that prayer and, and know that he will always provide a way out when that stuff's happening. Always. It's a promise. You yell out help, it'll, it'll become very clear to you the way out. And so it's always a choice. Now, this goes and takes it even deeper, see, because love always trusts. It always trusts. This unfailing love always trusts. And in Proverbs 3, 5, um, we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Um, our own understanding gets us in a lot of trouble. I should, my own understanding can get me in a lot of trouble. I should make it just me, because I can't speak for you, really. Um, and, and as the reality of living in the truth um, begins to take hold in our lives, we need to then understand that He is way better at taking care of us than we are. Way better. There's no comparison to the way that He takes care of us than, than we try and take care of ourselves. And, and, and yet we need to learn that we can trust Him in the process. And, and again, it's that picture of being able to run to him. If your picture of our Heavenly Father is one of him being a big meanie who's just out to get you, who's always trying to catch you doing something you shouldn't do, you've got a bad picture and you need to change it. Because he's not like that. He wants you to know that you can trust him and that you can go running to him in any situation when you're starting to get off track. You need to turn and go because he'll love you right back in and put you on track again. I think so. I told some of you, if you look in the foyers on the slat wall, there's a picture of me and my grandson. And it's a good picture. I like it. I like it because it's a good picture of me and my grandson. It's, it's a fun picture. But it's, the, the reason it's up on the slat wall isn't because I want you to look at pictures of me. You see me like all over the place. I don't need more pictures of me up there. The, the reason the picture's up there is, is that Sam and I are in the middle of this thing we call a grandpa squeeze. And I've been doing that to him since he was little. He's still, he's only a year and a few months now. But from the time that, that we could sort of relate, I would put him in a grandpa squeeze. And it's just something that he and I do. And, and I get him and I, I just wrap my arms around him. And then I act like I'm squeezing him really, really hard when I'm not. I'm just tensing. He's not being squeezed, but he laughs. And I just, and he just lights up and he laughs. Well, they, they caught a picture of that on his first birthday of me and him in the middle of this grandpa squeeze and the reason I told him to put the picture up I hope that's your picture of what God is like relating to you because when you go run into him that's what he does he just grabs you up and he loves you and he it's good and and he's for you and you can trust him you can absolutely trust him with with, with everything and that and you have to know that he's way better at, at leading you and guiding you than you will ever be. And, and so you have to have that picture that he's for you and that he's with you. And so what we need to do is we respond to this love that he gives us by, by knowing that we can trust him and then doing things his way. Because his way is way better than our way. And um, how do you know what his way is? There's this book. You guys seen this book, right? Um, it's a bestseller, by the way. Did you know that? It's outsold everything. This is a great book. Um, and you need to read it and all the time. But in this book, he makes his understanding pretty plain to us in lots of areas of life. 
And what we need to realize is this. At any point that your understanding and his understanding differ, go with his. At any point where the culture's understanding and his understanding differ, go with his. It's always the right one. But see, we have to trust him. You've got to trust that he's got your best interest. You've got to trust that he loves you like that, that he's got you. And that no matter what, you can run to him and he's got you. And he just says, now go and do the next right thing. Trust me, I got you. I'll protect you and you can trust me. And we need to know that in our hearts. At that point, this next step comes in is that love always hopes. It always hopes. And see, hope and trust are, are linked together. Because hope is a trustful expectation. Particularly when it comes to the fulfilling of God's promises. Now, worldly hope is based on a feeling that what is wanted will happen. That's worldly hope. Biblical hope is more than a feeling. Biblical hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. See, that's biblical hope. Because we can look and see what God has already done in our lives. Because we can see that He's faithful. Because we can see where He's moved in. Because we know the things that He's done. Because of that, then, our hope is in Him that all of His promises are for us. And will come true in us. And will be fulfilled in us. And so, th- this, this love always hopes. Hebrews 10.23 is one of our memory verses a while back. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Now, those three things, as we begin to allow them to work in our lives, as we begin to... Um, receive this unfailing love from God in order to express it to others. As we begin to understand that, that He protects us, um, that, 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 that he, uh, he, we can trust Him, that He wants us to do that, that, that we, our hope is in Him, it helps to do this, this last thing that Paul talks about, which is uh, it helps us to persevere in this life of love, regardless of the situations that we experience. See, Ultimately, with all this stuff that we're talking about, it's always about getting a bigger perspective. It's about getting a bigger picture. It's about getting outside of our own narrow perspective and trying to see things from the throne room of God where everything has a completely different take. And see, it's, it's knowing and, and, and trusting and resting in the love of God and His plan for you that allows you to begin to live outside of this very narrow perspective of it's all about me, what about me, what about me, what about me. There's no life. Anybody stuck in that perspective never experiences life the way God intended it to. Because life is way bigger than that. His, his story is way bigger than that. And, and he's able to use all these ins and outs and ups and downs and conflicts and relational difficulties and all that stuff. He weaves them into a story. If you let him, if you understand that it's his story you're being weaved into, it's not your story. Remember I've been telling you, in, in his story, there's one noun, that's him, and we're adjectives in the story. Our lives are to describe the noun, the noun, and, and he weaves our lives, see, into his story. And if we understand that he's using it all, we don't have to be so overly concerned about every little point and every little difficulty, because we do live in a fallen world. There's, no, there's hardships, there's difficult things. It's part of the package. But, but see, we can trust Him and we can hope in Him and He will protect us. And so because of that, we can persevere in Him. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. says, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So doing the next wrong thing. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, which is getting our eyes on Him, the truth. We talked about the The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that we fix our eyes on Jesus. And then we experience this amazing, unfailing love that He has for us. And, and we, we realize all that He went through so that we can experience this love. And then we ultimately choose to rejoice in the truth by doing the next right thing. And the next right thing. And yet when we mess up, which we do, because we ain't arrived, we go run into our Daddy. Daddy, I'm sorry. And he picks us up and he gives us a great big squeeze. And he says, I love you. Now go do the next right thing. We go back at it again. See, that's how we experience love. And that's how we can love others. It's bigger than us. It's more than us. It's his story. And we're a part of it. And, and, and we're, to, we're to love people for him. We're, we're to allow him to love people through us. Because he loves the world so much. That he's, he's calling them all the time. And he's doing it through us. I love this last verse in your notes. It's just kind of a, it's a paraphrase from the message. But it's, it's like a summary verse for how we're supposed to love. Romans 12.9 says, Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. And hold on for dear life to good. And if we can just sort of hold that context, hold that point. It summarizes all this stuff. This is how God wants us to love. This is how He wants us to operate in the world. And He wants to love the world through us. By loving you, that His love might flow through you to other people. That's got to be the foundation for everything we do, including this ministry of encouragement. And so, continue to think about these verses and to, and to process them. And I hope, by the way, that we've talked about them. It'll help you to memorize them and, and work again this week on getting them all down four through eight and next week we're going to do a little sort of tying in together of the entire encouragers plan and uh, I think it's going to be really good I encourage you to come I I got some uh, some stuff I think you're really going to like as we tie all that together and uh, so so be working on those things and practicing this kind of love in our lives and the people we meet be thankful for five things every day and encourage two people all right that's the practical side of it and go from there amen amen all right well let me uh pray for you and uh, I don't, if you know how to turn off the video upstairs you can if not I will get it shortly when I run up there but uh, uh, God bless you if you've been watching my video let me go ahead